Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and our week in IndyCar show. This is the listener Q&A. If you're listening, it's probably your Q&A. This is a fine, fine October 16th. Getting started here around 6.47 p.m. on a Wednesday. Delightful California watching beautiful colors out of the window as the sun is just about gone. Definitely always a day of reflection, thinking about my late brother, many people's late brother, Dan Weldon, Danny Boy. I wish I had something insightful and profound to offer. Find myself actually as, as more distance builds between the losses of friends like Danny or Big Man or a few others uh, that I was close with that strange. If anything, I would think more words, more prose, more context. Great insights would follow and I don't know. They don't. Nonetheless, I don't want to start on a bummer here, but yeah, missing, missing. Danny Boy actually just found about a half hour interview I did with him at the end of the, I think it was 2009 season might have been i don't know start of the 2010 season with panther racing and yeah yeah funny how truly horrific my questions were uh and how long they were and i mean even i'm sitting there going jesus dude just if you're 14 minutes into this first question just wrap it up but danny humored me and made fun of me it's one of the reasons i loved him one of the many reasons but just took a listen to that. It's great to hear his voice. I know that we can go on YouTubes and uh, the tweeters and the book faces and find video clips and relive hearing our friends, the, our heroes, our whomever speak. But I actually prefer to go back and listen to some of the conversations that we had just because they were personal, just because I remember you know, something that was uniquely ours compared to something enjoying from whatever remote vantage point. So that's first thing on my mind. Another thing I want to share here, maybe turning things in a more joyful manner. Uh, I took a look a day or two ago uh, while climbing into bed late, had a lot of late nights and very early starts and long days here uh, as my wife and I are settling into a pretty grinding routine with uh, physical rehab and uh, chemotherapy and all kinds of uh, stuff that really, I mean, that just wears her out. And uh, not me as much by any means, but it's just, yeah, it's kind of a, <laughs> makes the racing stuff seem just like a treat. Uh, I will be very honest because that's what I commit to do here with you. It's not as if I'm not honest elsewhere, but just really try and remove any filters of whatever on the podcasts. Uh, It feels most days like we are in the dryer, not the washer so much, but the dryer just tumble and tumble and you're just trying to find your balance and just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. So I apologize if I might sound a little bit weary, but it's not an effect. It's not being put on. Uh, I brewed a nice pot of coffee and I have a full, full large cup of coffee here to do this tonight. Because without it, you would hear an hour or two or three of me snoring, and that's probably not going to do well. 
But in that 1 a.m. curiosity peak, I went and took a look at some of the metrics of late. And since we split off the Week in IndyCar listener Q&A into its own episodes, instead of being bolted onto the back of our weekly guest interviews, I'm super shocked, y'all, truly. Uh, Listener Q&A for the last 30 days, the top 10 episodes ranked number one and number two. Uh, I've had number seven, and I just looked, and we also have one that's now at number four. So, uh, <laughs> ah, that's a little crazy to me. But, I, I mean, obviously I appreciate it. I never expected anything like that at all, man. I just say words into a microphone or type them into a keyboard. It's about as simple as that. So the fact that it appears people are enjoying it and listening to it and them or who knows maybe uh, someone has bought me a a russian traffic manufacturing bot like uh, some racing websites make fine use of maybe that's just cranking out traffic that isn't real but i'm none the wiser regardless thank you for real Uh, i thank you guys every week for your q a Got a bunch of great stuff this week. We usually have great stuff. It's almost redundant to say that. Uh, I need to find my favorite, favorite little thing that my father hung on his shop and had right behind him, behind his desk. It's just a little placard that said Department of Redundancy Department. Um, It's a little bit of Department of Redundancy Department to say you guys send in great questions because that's just the norm. So regardless, whether you are tuning in and listening to these listener Q&A episodes just because you want to hear the Q and the A, or if it's because you have sent in stuff and you're hoping to get them answered, regardless, thank you. It just It's it's crazy to think that these shows have apparently been popular. Uh, let's go to two quick pieces of business, one of them fun and generated by you all as well. Last week, our guests, the mayor of Hinchtown and the constable of Reno, Nevada, Alexander Rossi, our pals at torontomotorsports.com, one of our long-standing show partners, also happened to produce t-shirts for them and some stickers and I don't know uh, what else. But um, for last week's show, we said, hey, instead of giving away from some MP podcast gift packs, we're going to give away three off track with Hinch and Rossi gift packs. What? We're giving away stuff for other shows? Absolutely. These are friends. These are brothers. So, uh, as we normally do here, this little not super democratic system uh, of whomever's questions had the most likes on the Marshall Pro Podcast Facebook page, which I would urge you to join or subscribe to. I don't know what you do, honestly, but just be a part of it. Uh, Three folks, the top three, the ones that had the most likes, are going to get those sent to them. Some sort of T-shirt, some sort of stickers, some sort of, I don't know what. Um, it could be body parts from their cars. It could be things that torontomotorsports.com has stolen from the two of them when they weren't looking. I don't know what all is going to be in the gift packs, but I expect it will be good stuff. So our three winners, starting with Thomas Gross, send me your address. Send me a little DM with an address to get you connected here with torontomotorsports.com. His question asking about uh, explaining joint ventures and how that works in IndyCar. 
using the Harding-Steinbrenner thing as an example, now with Andretti. Thomas, your question got the most likes. Also going to go to Jordan Darwin. You were P2. Your question, asking Hinch and Rossi about the most random place they've been recognized. That uh, is definitely one that was in the top three, so send me your mailing address. And then also J.J. Gertler. You asked, what's the craziest thing that had to be cut out of an off-track with Hinch and Rossi podcast? That was a fine P3. So the three of you send me some sort of DM with your mailing addresses, or at minimum, send me your email address. I'll get you linked up with torontomotorsports.com, and they're going to send you some things from the Great White North that is free and awesome. So good on them. Think for next week. Um, we've had a couple people ask about this already. The Tontos, Joe Tontos quarter retrieval service t-shirts that I commissioned Roger Work to make. I think we're going to, we might have some of those made by then. So that might be what's coming as the gift for the person whose question singular gets the most likes this week on the MP podcast, Facebook page. So if you want one, Get your friends to like the living snot out of your question. And there we go. So that's that final bit here before we start rocking and rolling with questions. Say big thanks to Cooper Tires that makes our podcast possible. Definite huge thanks to the Justice Brothers, their amazing line of automotive chemicals and lubricants. Also reaches into the agricultural industry as well and a lot of different little industries. Pretty cool. And then finally, Bell Racing Helmets USA, Speedway, Indiana, the Bell Helmet Shop there run by the Wheelers, uh, our man Kyle, uh, who's in charge of things there. Just great folks. So if you happen to be just right off of turn four, I believe, if I'm getting my corners correct, it might be turn one. I don't know. Uh, But stop by. Say hi. Our good pals there definitely take great care of us. With that said... We're going to get rolling here with 2,905 words worth of your questions. Uh, eight pages that I've thrown into a Word document here. I'm going to get through as many as I can tonight. I have a feeling I will need to stop and take care of my lady. Uh, so let's get going. I placed this one up top at the last minute because I thought, you know, let's try and help out here. Our pal Jordan Darwin, who I just asked to send email address or otherwise for winning one of the off-track with Hinch and Rossi gift packs. We're going to go with him first. He says, MP, I took my seven-year-old son to IndyCar, or to Indy this year, for his very first 500, and he rooted for Simon Pagano all race long. He never wavered, like me, admitting that he rooted for Joseph when he was leading the race. Now his son wants a Simon Pagano Team Penske Indy 500 themed party and he said i thought i could crowdsource some ideas from you and my fellow listeners he's a great kid super smart and now wants to go back to indy every year so i'd like to make this a good one for him which is difficult living halfway across the country from the brickyard any listeners who might reply here with ideas would be greatly appreciated too he also says thanks for all you do and feeding our weekly indie addictions so That's a call to y'all. Hopefully when this goes up and you happen to see it on Twitter or Facebook or otherwise, just reply with some ideas for Jordan. 
Think about for a son, things that he might do. Who knows? Maybe some of you have done this for a son or a daughter. And if it if you've done it for yourself and as an, as an adult, we won't tell anyone. There, this is a judgment-free zone. It's not. That's a complete lie. But we won't judge in this instance. Nonetheless, maybe you have some great ideas of how you can have uh, an awesome Indy 500, Simon Pagano, Team Penske, IMS-themed birthday party. So send in those ideas. Let's get rolling with the questions. Uh, this one I put up top just because I love it, because I always get crazy stuff from our man. Lance Snyder said, MP, who would win in a wrestling match? Lemmy from the band Motorhead or God? Uh, I had to think about this for a little bit, Lance. It came down to God, and you know, there was a debate, but then I realized I think Lemmy... I think Lemmy wolfed down, he probably still does wolf down, I don't know, about 15 packs of Marlboro Reds per day. You know, uh, other than his breath possibly defeating the Lord, I'm just not thinking uh, the cardio and stamina is is quite there. So, yeah, going to have to go with the Lord on this one. Um, And I just assume the Lord doesn't smoke. Nick Vance, he says, hey, MP, I've been fortunate enough to have had two one-on-one conversations with IMSA driver Ricky Taylor. And you use the word fortunate. You're so kind. Uh, He says the most recent came at Indy. I asked him if he had any interest in racing in IndyCar, and he said that he would love to if Team Penske would let him. Uh, That's who he drives for in the IMSA series alongside Elio Castroneves. Nick says, so much has been discussed about silly season and who might go where. Does a guy like Ricky Taylor ever become part of of the conversation. I've written about this a couple times in recent years, Nick. I think well before Ricky left to go to Team Penske, left his old man's team, Wayne Taylor, just from the fact that he is so stupidly talented as a driver, but also his technical skills, they are fearsome, truly fearsome. The kind of guy. Uh, I think of an American, frankly, Simon Pagano in that regard. Just ridiculous in terms of speed, but also the chassis development, chassis feedback, making the vehicle better and faster. That is what the guy is known for. It's not a surprise that when he left his father's team and went to Acura Team Penske, there was a notable drop-off in performance at Wayne Taylor Racing because they no longer had the guy in the cockpit making the car better, getting it set up, getting it ready to go onto the pole, uh, going on to win the race. So there's that. And then there's just the fact that he is he's the perfect corporate partner from Penske's, I would say from Penske's angle. Uh, maybe a little bit of the antithesis of what we've seen with Penske's modern IndyCar drivers, right? We've seen a lot more character and color come out of them than maybe we did five years ago, 10 years ago. So maybe Ricky falls to the back a little bit. He blends in a little bit, isn't a big talker, isn't, he's never going to say anything controversial, do anything controversial. Part of me wonders if that is among the many reasons that Team Penske rates him so highly. Definitely think here, Nick. Not knowing how long the Acura Team Penske IMSA program is going to continue, and I don't mean that like it's going away and I'm giving you a secret, just mean I don't know how long it's meant to go. But I hope that at some point 
knowing that Will Power is, you know, probably in the last couple years of his full-time deal. Simon now, what, 35, 36? Again, got some more years, but you know, Joseph's the only, quote, young driver on the team. I mean, Ricky's, I think, 30 or so, maybe, 28, 29, 30. Not exactly young, young, but so experienced. I, I view him as almost an automatic to consider heavily whenever a power or a Pagano might move on. The one glaring thing, no oval experience, has done ovals, but just tells me that if Penske is serious about developing him and doing bigger things with him, well, I believe Roger has a team in another series where they go around in circles all day long. So not just IndyCar testing, but I think RP, if he wanted to, could really get Ricky up to speed uh, to really seal that one hole that he might not have. So I would say great call here. I'd love to see Ricky there among many, many Americans who are in sports cars right now. But yeah, Ricky, I would honestly put pretty darn close to the top, if not the top. Uh, My pal Jaime Macias sent in an item, said, hey, with the aero screen, at some point, do you think drivers will race with their helmet visors open? He says, just like they do in IMSA, NASCAR, and other series where windscreens are used. Where I think this might be not so much a reality, Jaime, unless we're talking under a, a yellow, a caution, just trying to get a little more air directly into one's face. Although, granted, some drivers wear contacts, so that might not be too welcome. Might dry them out in an instant. The one thing that has been an issue more than any other so far during aeroscreen testing has been not just cockpit cooling, meaning there's not enough cooling, therefore they're you know just boiling inside the cars, there's just a, a normal amount of cooling air that drivers are accustomed to, whether it's hot, cold, or otherwise. It's just air coming into the helmet, that somewhat cooling effect, knowing that even if it's relatively cold outside, its drivers are multiple layers, right? They're fireproof underwear, multiple layer fire suit, and a helmet pulled over, high work rate, no power steering. They're sweating no matter what. So even if it's somewhat cool, that air coming straight to the helmet does help. So one of the issues that has been described is with the little detent, the little cutout that's been done in the shock cover, the the very trailing edge of the shock cover that leads into a open duct trying to flow air into the cockpit with the aero screen in place, it has been insufficient. And so they're trying to come up with ways new ways, better ways, frankly, just to ram more air at the driver's helmet. And so this is a thing that I think, I mean, if they do get this right, we could have a situation where while there will be an aero screen around the driver, we could have some relatively high-speed air aimed at the helmet if they get this right. And in that scenario, you probably don't want your visor open because it might be a, a somewhat powerful stream. If they were to go to something a little bit different, almost a NASCAR style with the hose that connects to the driver's helmet that feeds it that way, maybe then it would be less of an issue. Maybe some might decide to crack open their visor a little bit. But 
honestly, I think this is a wait and see item to know what they come up with as a final solution for flowing air into the cockpit and how that gets done. And I think how it gets done will then dictate whether visor open, visor closed uh, would be the preferred way to do things. Mike Brennan says, Marshall, what frustrates you more while recording your podcast? My cat Rocky's ass in my face. Or when someone calls, causing us to hear the call waiting tone. He says, hashtag me personally, it would be the phone call. Well, 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 that's a little snippy there, isn't it, Mike? I mean, it's not as if I can control when people call. Um, I'm so accustomed to Rocky just showing out and being a pain in the app in the ass excuse me as i burp uh it's not so much the putting his ass on my face but just being a pain um yeah he loves there's something he knows when i am busy and can't really pull myself away those are the times he loves to pounce to be an annoyance hoping to get me to feed him so he will leave me alone uh let's go to john foreman who says mp to different teams try not to step on each other's toes with regards to big announcements, like would Chip Ganassi Racing tell Spam, that being Schmidt Peterson, Arrow McLaren, when they're making an announcement so they can plan to not split media coverage? Don't really see that so much, John, in terms of team to team communication. Uh, granted, you have to kind of sort of know someone's doing something and know you are doing something to then know you might cross swords where this does have a little bit of informal management taking place is IndyCar is often roped into major announcements, big announcements, as you mentioned. So they will be alerted to, hey, on this day, we're going to share this big piece of news. And the series tends to keep a master calendar. And so I'm quite sure that there have been times where Team A has said, hey, Wednesday at noon, we're going to say this. Another team fires in something that might be Wednesday at noon or 11 or 1 p.m. or whatever. Probably has the series ringing one of them saying, all right, somebody needs to choose a different day because you're going to trample each other and diminish your messages. I know that I have done that once or twice, just as someone who often gets embargoed news and without obviously telling the other team who it is, what it is, or anything. Just, hey, you might not know this, but you're probably going to have a bit of an issue here uh, in getting your message out because someone else is either running over you at the same time or it's going to be too close. So uh, I think series might be the first ones to intervene, but even if they aren't, I know that sometimes I've seen ones and I've just wanted to, I mean, It's not as if I have anything to do with it, but if someone has some big news to break, you want them to get the maximum benefit out of it. So uh, while teams don't keep one another informed so much, I think IndyCar plays the parent in the process here. Our pal WindyCar, and we have confirmed that WindyCar is a man. A little bit of a longer question here, but I love it. It says, MP, curious how you would rank Joseph Newgarden's second championship says, I can't help but feel the fan and media response has been underwhelming. Newgarden basically went wire-to-wire dominating the season. Four wins, seven podiums, two poles, 12 top five. Led about 500 laps. 
with an average finish of 5.6. Wendy Carr goes on to say, I felt like there was a lot of coverage of Scott Dixon's historic elite run to five titles earned through 2018. He said, and deservedly so. He says, and Alexander Rossi continues to get attention. Colton Herta did too in 2019. There was Ferrucci and Rosenquist, but Newgarden won two of the last three Astor Cups in his prime. Dominated. Says Newgarden is arguably on the best team. Roger Penske, Tim Sindrick, Gavin Ward, Travis Law. We could be talking three of four, even four or five championships in this window, like your Golden State Warriors. Do you feel Newgarden is getting his dynastic respect yet? Does he deserve more respect? Rank him. You have hit upon all kinds of great things here, Mr. Windy Carr. I completely agree that the reverie that should be due for Joseph has not been paid out yet. I don't know if that's because those in the media and fans as well do not feel that that reverie is due, but I'm with you on this one. If we look at champion in his first season with Team Penske, last year a little bit of a a rougher follow-up. Wasn't bad by any means, but just things got derailed a little bit. Scott Dixon, bit of a miracle championship uh, run here late in the season. And then this year, the guy more or less owned it the whole time. Uh, I mean, the, the least impressive race Joseph had all year long was the season finale. And that was a just do what you need to get the title type deal. Nothing more, nothing less. I would say for sure the fact that he and this team are locked into a pretty amazing space that needs more amplification. That's something I will be doing here once I get my brain power together. I think another huge aspect, which I wrote about a little bit, I think a day or two before the uh, finale, and that was he and Gavin Ward winning a championship together, being on that championship trail together. You know, first year with a brand new race engineer, look what they did. I mean, keeping in mind that when Joseph moved to Penske, it was with a brand new engineer on his timing stand and Brian Campy. So I think the I think the takeaway for hashtag me personally is this guy is crazy, crazy adaptable. The fact that you can throw significant new things at him, new team culture, new engineer. And guess what? Just, it didn't matter. A, it didn't matter, but B, in 2017, we also had this, boy, he sure was good at Ed Carpenter Racing 2015-2016, and then using the same Chevy engines that he knew and the people that he knew from that side, obviously knew the Firestone tires, but just you think about how much he showed with an Ed Carpenter Racing, not in the big three, and then capitalized on all the things that makes Team Penske one of the elite members of the big three and converted that straight into a championship first year. It just said it a lot. Uh, this year, this year to me was what I thought we were going to see last year. I thought we were going to see this guy just unlock uh, holy hell on people. And again, not as if 2018 was bad for him, but 
this I thought was going to be the continuation, making him back-to-back champions, uh, championship winners. What I think is this might indeed be the thing that has him going back-to-back next year. Uh, I know that Rossi seemed to fade a little bit towards the end of the year. I don't exactly know why. I also know that we saw a couple little weird oddities from Joseph. Some decision-making that was ill-fitting for his character. Uh, Some mistakes, frankly, that, hmm, all right, that's a little bit of a wild card. But I would say there might be something else to mix in here that's not totally, you know, if we're talking fault, and I guess we shouldn't, but why isn't Joseph being just celebrated and hailed and all that for two Astro Cups in three years? Keep in mind, he has, with trying to forge a life for himself, get married, uh, he has tried to dial back a lot of the big public showy aspects of his career. And in simplifying things, which has been his new happier place, uh, maybe that's part of it, right? He hasn't wanted to be as on all the time. If you think of how many social media posts our pal Simon Pagano put up of him wearing his fire suit and helmet uh, somewhere around a racetrack during the weekend. Uh, you just, you got the impression that this guy is, when he's not in the car, he is just on at all times. And with Joseph, I think there's been a very intentional move to dial that back. And so maybe <clears throat> while there was a lot of reverie for Scott Dixon winning his historic fifth title, uh, there also wasn't a ton of postseason celebration. Uh, I think Dixie's a low-key enough person to where he's not asking, hey, let's get me on this show and this radio thing and this TV and this, let's just get me everywhere. Um, so, yeah, I think there might be something in that general area that has kept things a little more muted. Uh, final, final thing here, because, again, it's a great topic. We also have a new IndyCar communications regime. Um, big mid-season shakeup. I mean, there's almost nobody left in that department now that was there starting at the the beginning of the year. And so, you know, they not sure exactly how they plan on making Joseph more, keeping what he's done kind of high in the, the either endemic register or the national register. But it'll be interesting to see what they come up with that's different from those in the past to hopefully make sure that Joseph's title isn't something that is kind of almost forgotten pretty darn quickly. Let's go to Adam Jensen. Says, MP, you cover both sports cars and IndyCars. IndyCars Next Engine Formula and IMSA's DPI 2.0 Formula seem to tick the same boxes from a manufacturer's branding standpoint. Is there a strong sense that commitment to racing programs is strongly either one or the other? a great question adam so indycar is always going to have a deficiency when it comes to manufacturer participation and it's that if you think of how many auto manufacturers play in motor racing there are far more that do things in sports cars do things with production-based vehicles you know converted road cars that go racing or it's just things that look like or can look somewhat like what they sell 
Obviously, if we look in Formula One, we know that there are some manufacturers there. Not many, but there are some. Uh, IndyCar is another thing, too, I would say, Adam, where, well, there's so many benefits to it. If we're just comparing it to IMSA, TV ratings, much better. Attendance, much better. On Just everything in terms of return on investment, you would say better. Also, not better, though, is the people that show up to the average IMSA race tend to be very brand loyal folks that own bmws drive those bmws to the 12 hours of sebring or watkins Glen or vir or wherever wanting to be in the bmw corral same with the people who own corvettes or just run down the line all the different manufacturers it's a big part of the culture in sports cars that is not a part of indycar not as if people in the grandstands don't own Hondas and own Chevys. We know that they do, and that's great. But just be honest here. You go to your average sports car race, and you see flags. You see fans waving manufacturer flags or wearing manufacturer T-shirts. That's a big part of the culture. You go to an IndyCar race. How many Chevy flags do you see? How many bow tie flags do you see i don't mean the ones hanging from the chevy technical support trailer i mean out at turn five at circuit x how many honda flags do you see being waved honda t-shirts it's just a different thing and so coming back to your primary question it is very much an either or for manufacturers in some cases both chevy and honda play in both series because they find values in different categories things that indycar can do that imsa can't and vice versa but for many of the traditional manufacturers that we see involved in racing they tend to be in sports cars and telling they tend to say it's really hard to get our board of directors our finance people our marketing people to say okay We're going to spend a lot of money on an engine program. Folks can't see the engine because it's covered up by bodywork. And it's going to be a, a, there's going to be stickers on the engine cover, but they're not going to be huge because we're leasing them. We're not there as a manufacturer. And the cars are going to have big branding from a variety of companies. And we're, you know, we're going to have to be the ones to really forge the link between our participation and, in getting folks to care. I wish the answer was different, but that is the reality. So if we're staring at manufacturer being able to do, getting the money to do DPI 2.0 versus IndyCar engine lease program, I think it's always going to be easier for them to go the sports car route, whether it's DPI or a GT program, just a harder sell. And the fact that both are going to be hybrid here at the same time, um yeah my concern which you really get to here adam is i fear where there were pretty strong differentiators want to clearly make manufacturing oh indycar's got this stuff now that boy we just gotta gotta go there because we can't get it anywhere else not so much talking about again that the tv ratings or otherwise just from a technological front knowing that imsa will be hybrid in their dpis yeah, I think it's one other area now 
knowing that IMSS is actually between the two, the first, by a long shot to declare that's what they're going to do, I think this is something where IndyCar has not helped themselves. Tony Whelan, question about Marcus Erickson joining Chip Ganassi Racing. He says, what do you think? Do you think that all three other drivers can claim a spot in the top 10 next year? And I do, Tony. Actually, I do. (laughs) Well, we saw Scott Dixon vying for the title. Obviously, didn't come away with it, but uh, still ran very, very well. Um, We have Felix Rosenquist, who ended up finishing sixth as a rookie. I don't know where Marcus would be placed next year. I would say a ninth or tenth would not surprise me based on the quality of the Ganassi equipment he will be in. But I do have a hard time really pinpointing where he might be. I do think it would be a surprise if he was not in the top ten and probably towards the the top of the top ten, not the bottom down near number one, two, or three. But that's going to be the interesting part for me, Tony, just to see in a championship caliber car where Marcus's talent stacks up. Can't wait to find out. Going to go to Sandberg Moose, who says, with IndyCar announcing a hybrid and pushing back the start date for it to 2022, will Porsche become an OEM now? He says, or did IndyCar miss their chance already? Is there a reason why IndyCar let Porsche walk away, even though they were considering hybrids like Porsche wanted well, I I can't say IndyCar let Porsche walk away. Porsche's a big company. Big, big company. Uh, no one keeps them from walking wherever they want. My guess is that Porsche was at a place where they were seriously contemplating changes in how they did things here in the U.S. in terms of motor racing. Not necessarily changes as in taking away, say, their... 911 RSR GT program in IMSA, but just what could we do? Formula E, while it might provide whatever value on an international stage, it nobody even knows about it or cares about it in the U.S. Could doing something in open wheel here with a hybrid be something that just attracts a newer, different audience, knowing that they've been involved in GT racing even prototypes for so long, there does become a little bit of a critical mass scenario. You've been promoting in front of the same people for so long. It's great. You build diehards, hearty, loving customers and fans. There is a bit of a point of saturation, though, right? Uh, The (laughs) whatever percent that they had to start out with, zero, or whatever they might have brought in with them to start, It's certainly increased, but there does come a point where it tapers off. So that's why I think a company would look at doing something a little bit different, but does tick the necessary marketing box, this being hybrid. My other guess here is, yes, while IndyCar was looking at hybrid, I can tell you... Very much so that even as of April, it was, you know, in some conversations I had with the series in April, weren't fully convinced everything was going to be the hybrid stuff that was announced. 
lots of conversations about it, lots of possibilities, but IndyCar, IndyCar was not wanting to commit to this hybrid, this electrification route. So they were trying to explore some other things they thought of might actually have been more relevant. And because of that, I would say having a fully baked, ready to go, here's exactly what we're going to do, when we're going to do it, here's what it will cost, here's what it will weigh, here's how it will function. I don't believe a lot of those things were really in place when Porsche was calling. I would say even today. (laughs) Uh, October 16th at 728 now. I would say... There's still more questions about what it's going to be than not. And I know that because I sat down and had that exact conversation with IndyCar in Monterey a couple of weeks ago. And no, none of what I'm saying is, an, is negative or a criticism. It's just this is coming in 22. So you know, September of 19 might not be the time when all this stuff is fully sorted out. So I think somewhere in this general range, we have Porsche calling saying, Hey, you've been talking to us or get, trying to get us to come and take a look, and here we are, and, you know, we're kicking the tires, and, you know, we could be very interested if you had this component. Oh, you don't have that yet? Oh, okay. Uh, you're thinking about it, but you're not sure, but you might do something else, but, you, you know, we're not, you're not really there yet? Okay, well, this might not jive. Final thing to mention is Porsche does very few things on a short timeline. What that means is they do long-term planning long-term strategies and so while we might be discussing early in 2019 indycar and porsche talking would you like to come in as a manufacturer in 22 and hybrids and so on for porsche to do something like that they would want to lock that in then and know exactly what it would be and that might actually cause them to change some plans in other series and other things they were doing or to scrap some other plans they might have had. Uh, Knowing that while it might be a case of it's not going to come for a little while and that's the reality, I think we also have to understand that Porsche is a type that they probably have somewhere uh, up on the wall in an office what they plan on doing in motor racing through 25, 2026, that's just who they are. So IndyCar being in a place where they needed grace period to figure it all out. Giving Porsche theory of what they're thinking of doing, I think that might have been the showstopper. That's just not how Porsche works. Let's go to Don Davis, who says, Concerning the new IndyCar design, wouldn't it be better for IndyCar to pursue a radical look similar to the Delta Wing, but less phallic? In the opinion of I, myself, And hashtag me personally, (laughs) you rocked on a marginal design change will only appease the old farts and not gain one new fan. That's why I love your y'all's Q and a and thoughts and opinions here, because more often than not, uh, I'm right on board as I am with you here, Don. I, yeah, we're not going the Delta wing route, so we can go ahead and, but, But that mindset, I think, really needs to be embraced. Folks have not been super happy. I shouldn't say folks. Whatever percentage of folks have not been happy with the aero screen. As I discussed on some recent listener Q&A episodes, 
this is a thing being bolted onto a car that was never designed to have one. So naturally, it's not going to look like this smooth, beautifully blended thing. So we know that the aero screen with the next design will be from the ground up, from the first line, drawn into it as an integral part of the car. That's great. That'll help that portion. But the rest, I'm totally with you here, Don. If this is just kind of sort of a warmed over of what we have right now, it might be time to really try and think about what futuristic aspects could be incorporated into an indie car strictly for visual appeal. I don't mean abandoning the cigar shaped, you know, I don't mean abandoning what we have. I don't mean radical as in just throwing away what we have, but truly thinking, okay, since this will be a spec car, uh, at least the chassis and we expect the bodywork, the things that are readily visible, there might be other things that aren't spec beneath the skin, but since what we expect to see in front of us is a spec machine, Get creative. Do something that would make the average person, as you mentioned here, Don, who maybe has seen an open-wheel race car before, but especially those who haven't, to look at and go, what is that? That's amazing. That's crazy. Looks like it's from outer space. Looks like it's a rocket with wheels. Looks like it, I don't know. Something where when it comes out in 2022, 2023, I'd love for it to look like it's from 2032, 2033. Not crazy and cartoonish and silly, but just something where true forward-looking design concepts are played with and tried. And you know, whatever gets decided upon and comes out as the final choice, what would be great is something where, even after we've seen the thing for five years, we don't look at it and go, ah, that thing just looks like an old battle axe by now. That's what we had with the, the Delar DW12, frankly, by year two. Just like, oh, man. It was ugly to begin with, but this just wasn't. It wasn't good. So I'm with you, Don. Since it's going to be spec, do something that will capture people's attention. Folks will want to have a poster of it on the wall. I've mentioned that before. It's been a long time. But that's one of the things I use. As a kid growing up, loving racing, going to the track, I was on the hunt for posters, hero cards, but posters in particular. Some teams would have them, manufacturers would give them away. And I use the poster test. Is this future IndyCar something that a kid would want to put on their wall in poster form and just stare at and marvel at it? If it isn't, you failed. And so we have what we have now with the DW12 with this universal arrow kit from 2018 that makes it look a whole lot better. It's still not the prettiest thing I've seen. So just talking about if you're going to make something that you have total creative freedom with and you can present it however you want. Unlike the arrow screen, which has some very functional things that cannot be messed with to make it look prettier. Uh, this is something where I'm with you, Don. Uh, go big, go into the future. And I would say knowing that we have a couple years to get there, hopefully they are already playing around with this concept. Going to go to Bruce Folker, who said, just 
a thank you for continuing to provide great coverage of IndyCar while you deal with some difficult circumstances with your wife. Prayers that all this gets better for your family soon. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Bruce. And I don't often include those in your Q&A, but I wanted to do that just as a general opportunity to say thank you for everybody who uh, so many of you often include notes like that, either at the beginning of your question or the end of the question. I don't want to uh, berate everyone here by just constantly <laughs> mentioning that because that's not why you all come here. But thank you so much for that, Bruce, and to everyone uh, who continues to extend these really greatly appreciated well wishes. Uh, this has been the hardest thing uh, I've ever dealt with, my wife has ever dealt with, um, and it it has improved from a standpoint of my wife is no longer in the hospital receiving 24-hour care there. That part's amazing. She's been home now for a couple weeks, two and a half weeks, whatever the exact amount of time. That part's also amazing. Again, sharing this with you all here, uh, hoping and believing that this won't be, won't extend beyond us here, but the, uh, the unwritten part is... She was receiving 24-hour care the day before she came home, and it's not as if that need magically stopped when she came home. That just means that that care transfers and transferred to me, and I am honored that I get to do that and love taking care of my lady. Also means that, (laughs) you know, having to prepare all meals, having to do every, you know, all the wash, all the meals, take care of the pets, all the garbage, all the getting the car registered, getting it clean, filling with gas, driving to and from appointments. Um, We haven't gone into any detail about her mobility issues, but you can kind of understand where I'm going here, that she's not able to do a lot of the things for herself that she once was. You know, we're hoping to get beyond that and to have that fixed uh, here with a lot of uh, a lot of physical rehab and just going to take time until we get to that point. So um, do my best to take care of you all because, you know, you guys are like family to me, as I've mentioned before. And so being able to do this is actually it's just a nice break. It's it. I don't want to say therapeutic because that's used just too much. Uh, I mean, this is kind of what I do, right? As a reporter, IndyCar and sports cars, um, you know, so talking about IndyCar is what I do. It's just, it's really nice <laughs> to be able to sit in a chair here, uh, usually not for the entire duration. I try not to make it too obvious when I step away and come back to record, but, you know, this is uh, what our life uh, is right now, and we're just going to keep fighting until we can get back and she can be untethered from any restrictions and live a fully mobile life and do what she pleases when she pleases. And I can be even more of an idiot and do more of the stuff that uh, I like to do that hopefully you all enjoy as well. So thanks again, Bruce. And thanks to everybody who sends in beautiful notes like that on a regular basis. Ryan Terpstra is up next. Says MP. I feel like saying MP. You might sometimes think I'm just saying hashtag me personally which is my most hated phrase of late in the world. And I appreciate everybody who sends in questions 
using hashtag me personally just to keep this tragedy alive. Ryan says, tangent aside, Roger Penske threw a sarcastic challenge to Roland Dane, who's the owner of the Triple Eight Aussie supercar team, that he should bring a wild card entry to IndyCar, keeping in mind that the entry that Hinch and Rossi drove last weekend at Bathurst was indeed a wild card. He says, if I read the article correctly, Penske was effectively saying he's not really interested in a wild card entry for willpower plus one in the great Bathurst 1000 based on the extreme testing restrictions. He says, I'm wondering how that is any different from IndyCar. Fernando Alonso got a single test day and an extra half day of rookie practice before he was given the same amount of practice time as everyone else. He says Hinch and Rossi got a three-day test in their V8 baptism, which if you split it amongst the two of them is an extra day and a half. Granted, that day and a half wasn't at Bathurst, but I'm just not seeing Rogers' excuse for not putting willpower out there in a wild card entry. Also, for anyone who didn't watch the podium, check out Rogers' extremely fast exit when the champagne came out. Says, with that being said, reading between the lines of the Hinch and Rossi post-race interviews, I would love for someone to pose the question about reaching optimal lap time at Bathurst versus reaching optimal lap time your first time on the Indy Oval. That'd be a great question to pose. I agree. Uh, Just quickly here, other than winning a manufacturer's championship, which is where I've seen Roger field an extra car in sports cars or something similar in IndyCar where there's the ability to maybe take points away, tip things in the favor of their title contender. Can't recall a lot of Roger just doing fun extra things like a wild card entry for power plus whomever. Definitely know that Roger's mindset, maybe even more Tim Sindrick's mindset is let's master the basics and the primary thing we're doing here and not complicate it by throwing in a genuine wild card within the mix. So that's my general feeling there, Ryan. Ben Cohen asks, MP, can you describe how IndyCar works with all the teams in the paddock to disperse the aero screen testing information? Is the same information given to key partners such as Firestone, Delara, Ilmore, and HPD? I'm interested in how the paddock as a whole is able to collaborate together to ensure that the racing continues to be as exciting as every sport grows even safer. Piece that I wrote a couple weeks ago, Ben, I believe, I don't know, maybe even a month ago on Racer, centered on this topic by and large. And according to Jay Fry, the system here for the air screen testing, knowing that only a couple of teams are actually helping the series doing to do this, they are making all the data available and funneling all that data through their engine manufacturers. All Chevy teams get the data from Ilmore slash Chevy Racing. Same with Honda Performance Development, all Honda teams. So that's the same process they did with the Universal Air Kit testing information. And so I think with that model having worked, most folks would have to agree, I believe I should say, uh, would agree in saying it worked fairly well just truly following that same pattern, Ben. So it's pointing all information at the manufacturers for their dispersal and use as well. 
Another thing to keep in mind here, while the first test at Indianapolis was truly an IndyCar test, everything following with the aero screen has been a Firestone test that IndyCar has kind of glommed onto. So Firestone certainly has all data as well. Delara as well. I would say all key partners who need to know uh, what's been going on. It would include the safety team as well, just so they can look at uh, any of the differences possibly uh, they might need to consider. Wouldn't say that they would really have a great need for a lot of that data, but just out of curiosity, if there's any differences in speeds in the corners, uh, breaking thresholds, distances, etc. Just looking for any vagaries they might need to plan for. So that's the process, Ben. Uh, also, and I apologize here, I might have stripped out the person who sent this in, or it might be you, Ben, and I don't know, I'm not sure, but uh, in my little cut-and-paste job here, I think missed the person who sent it in, but person said, hashtag me personally, I believe Ganassi's fourth call car. Call? We'll just say... Ganassi's fourth call will be to Renus VK, just because it's too obvious. He's talented, he has wealthy backers, plus he's not American, which is part of Chip's criteria for hiring new drivers. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure Ganassi's going to be going to a fourth. They were working very hard, holding out, trying to make something happen with an American, that being Oliver Askew, Mike Hole, managing director there at Chip Ganassi Racing has been a huge advocate for the young lad from Jupiter, Florida. Does seem more like, though, that he will not be a part of the Ganassi family with Marcus Erickson being signed. Definitely an effort to see, could they still fit him in somewhere? I believe the interest being shown in Oliver by McLaren, who are wondering, could he be the next Colton Herta? I think McLaren might be on pole position here to make something happen with young Oliver. And where that could be very different, but also very beneficial for Oliver, is the fact that for what he has to graduate, which is three IndyCar races worth of funding from Indy Lights and IndyCar, plus Indy 500, that's not even a quarter of a season right there would need to find the rest to be able to obviously do more, but hopefully a full season. With the spam scenario, with the M in the spam bringing sponsorship, also with Arrow being one of IndyCar's biggest, if not the biggest sponsor of a team in the series, I'd say Oliver could be in a prime position to do a full season, period. That team can indeed pay for him to be in a car for the full year, they would certainly take that million-dollar check to help things. But this is a scenario where for Oliver, uh, he could indeed be a full-time IndyCar driver coming straight out of Indy Lights. I don't know if that would have happened anywhere else. So provided things move forward, may already be done, who knows, but provided that does go in that direction, could be a really good thing for him. Got another question down here a little later about Hinch, so I'll save that uh, for the Hinch aspect of spam. Bob Fay says, hey Marshall, an obvious question since we now have the arrow screen, are there any plans to implement a head-up display 
and move the graphical info in the steering wheel up onto the aero screen and into the driver's natural field of view. Awesome question, Bob. I don't know. Anything like that that might happen would certainly be a next-generation car item. Thing that could be a challenge, knowing that I can only use the car that we have right now, since we don't know what the next one would look like, on our Mazda CX-9, which has a head-up display, the first I've had in a vehicle that I've owned. I've certainly had that in rental cars before other vehicles, but the way it is presented is right in the middle, I guess parallel with the steering column, projected out ahead of the windscreen. But point being is it's just a little bit in front of and above the steering wheel, right in the center, projecting forward. That is the space right now where the forward leg of the halo mounts. So I don't know if there would be enough space for such a thing to actually be installed. But again, that could certainly be something that if they wanted to do that, they could look into that. I think it'd be a pretty amazing thing to try and do. Can't tell you if it'd be successful, but trying to do that, I think that might be pretty awesome. J.J. Gertler, who is one of our three off-track with Hinch and Rossi swag pack winners from Toronto Motorsports, says, MP, this could perhaps be an episode of its own, but based on 2019, who would be your all-star team looking beyond the drivers? Says, on the owner front, Penske versus Andretti versus Ganassi or others. Among strategists, Tim Sendrick versus Mike Hall versus Rob Edwards, crew chiefs, engineers. We could look at Ben Bretzman, Michael Cannon, Jeremy Mellis, and on down the line. Perhaps a different way to ask, if you were starting a team from scratch, who would you want as your core group behind the wall? And he also says, just a note, uh, for acronym reasons, the team should not be called Pruitt Miller Sports. Oh, here we go. All righty. Uh, so first of all, JJ, I see that you want to uh, make enemies of my friends here. That's great. Thank you. If we're looking from the team owner side, I think Michael Andretti and Chip Ganassi would both choose Roger Penske. So I would be silly to go anywhere other than the captain for strategists. Obviously Mike Hall, the most Frequent guest on the weekend in IndyCar, it'd be hard to choose against him. I would I would definitely go with Mike here, and not just because he's a, a close friend and been on the show a lot, but I like his lateral thinking. We'll definitely say that Tim Sindrick, where I thought he was good, but hadn't really stood out in that capacity for a while, he and, he and Joseph definitely seem to have found a great rhythm. So... I tell you, really neck and neck with Tim and Mike and with Rob. It's interesting. I haven't seen Rob's need to do extraordinary things with strategy related to Alexander Rossi to make me point to him right away. And so that's not a, a negative or a criticism. It's just I've seen Cindric and Hull have to come up with some creative things. They've also had some pretty big misfires too 
Rob, on the other hand, I haven't seen a lot that makes me go, whoa, that's amazing, or whoa, that's terrible. That might actually be the perfect choice, though. The person who tends to be more dead center than swinging in one direction or the other. On the engineering front, now keep in mind we have Ben Bretzman, Pagano's engineer. Then we have his brother, older brother, Eric Bretzman, technical director at Andretti Autosport. We have Michael Cannon, who was one of my oldest, dearest friends and my race engineering mentor. Then we have crazy Jeremy Millis. Hmm. I don't know which Bretzman you were thinking of, JJ. I'd probably go with Eric just because he brings the complete package. Race engineering, if needed. How many championships did he win with Scott Dixon? Indy 500 winner as well. But then also on the technical director side, it's that's a, that's a pretty hard thing to turn down. But this is a great one. This is a really great one. Great idea. We might, uh, might think of ways I can develop this into a story. Go to Jim Kaiser, a recent winner of a MP Podcast gift pack. It says, here's this week's lyrical special. Jim's now into week two of haiku. Alex and Hinchcliffe had a rough go down under. Bathurst. Ain't no joke. <laughs> uh, I love you guys. Uh, you guys are, yeah, you guys are pretty awesome. And here's something you might have heard of late. A clicking mouse. Why? I'm still barely, we're barely even unpacked. So my silent mouse that I try and use uh, during podcast recording, I couldn't tell you where it is. Yeah, there's there's no clue. None whatsoever. Going to go to Justum, Justum, Justum. Look, I don't drink, but I you would think I am many, many pints in. I don't say I don't drink. I rarely drink. I have a taste for it. I drank so much in my youth that I think I taught myself up for uh, the rest of my life. Uh, nonetheless, maybe, who knows? Maybe it's crack. Maybe I'm on something. I don't know. Whatever it is, talk about misfiring. Uh, I got maybe five out of six cylinders working tonight, friends, so... I don't know if I should apologize or just say get used to it because it's probably more normal than not. Justin Halcom says, Marshall, long-time listener, first-time poster. Thanks, Justin. Says, with the talk about doubleheaders with NASCAR, why does Gateway keep getting brought up as a potential venue? Says, hashtag me personally feels that we should use the doubleheader to build momentum at a newer struggling venue rather than Gateway, which is one of IndyCar's stronger stops. I'm with you, Justin. I really am. Also, I don't know. I just wouldn't see Gateway being the thing that NASCAR prized as a place to do a doubleheader. We do an IndyCar because we love it. They love us. Yeah, I'm not totally sure. I think maybe just from IndyCar fans saying, hey, it's an oval and it's really popular and it works. Um, maybe that's the thing. Maybe Texas would be the perfect place since it obviously draws a bigger crowd for NASCAR than it does IndyCar, but maybe putting the two together with some sort of true back-to-back type arrangement. You know, IndyCar race stops and we go straight into NASCAR, or who knows, NASCAR stops and goes straight into IndyCar. Maybe that's how it works, and it's an alternate, too, so that there's a true flip of the coin to see which series for the very first year goes first 
which closes, and then it just alternates every year after that. Um, I kind of like that idea because Texas, uh, having been there, been with the IRL team for the very first IndyCar race there, first couple races, it was huge. I mean, massive, amazing how many fans turned out. Having seen what it looked like when it was a raging monster for IndyCar, uh, boy, anything to get back to that would make me really happy. Joshua Ponce says, Marshall, I'm sure you've covered or mentioned it before on why or why not IndyCar can't race at Road Atlanta. Hashtag me personally. I love this, man. Almost every question has hashtag me personally in it. By the way, I need to get a t-shirt going uh, with all the various favorite sayings of the show included here with hashtag me personally, probably at the top of the list. The other sayings that I hate, and it's probably just the things that Marshall hates, t-shirt uh, sayings that it, I hate, hashtag me personally would be there. The one that I hate more than anything, and I heard during the Petit Le Mans broadcast last week, and I was like, no, was hashtag front nose. I mean, come on, really? Really? We need to call out the front nose because... There's a rear nose, right? People might get confused. Huh. <laughs> uh, some of these are sports car, like front splitter is one. You go, look, there's only one splitter. You don't have to say front. It's just splitter. It's like toes. You don't have to say front toes. There's no rear toes. Uh, anyways, yeah. So I got a list going of uh, my favorite hated saying. So sorry, little diverged thoughts coming out of my brain here um joshua says hashtag me personally i'd love to see them race there at road atlanta i think it could provide some great racing and be loads of fun for the fans also says love the podcast and thank you thanks so much joshua have answered this a number of times lately which is not a bad thing it makes me just think more and more indycar fans are loving the idea of going to the amazing road atlanta I often say Road America or get them confused, even in print. I've been doing that for 15 years and can't break that, by the way. Uh, Road Atlanta. From everything I've seen, Joshua, having covered many, many, many races at Road Atlanta, competed there actually back uh, as a crew member in the SCCA runoffs in 1994. It's just too fast. Uh, It's a crazy thing to say, but it is too fast when I start looking at the amount of runoff in the fastest corners, look at the DPIs, even the LMP1 cars that competed there a decade ago or however long, and even then it was scary in some of the corners. Seen a couple of LMP1 cars written off crashing in turn one, uh, even coming out of turn one up the hill being written off. Um, yeah, an indie car with less weight, similar, if not more power, uh, just brutal speeds. It would be a phenomenal thing to watch that, that without question, the track itself would need to make significant alterations. Uh, there'd be a lot of earth moving. There'd be a lot of big, heavy equipment required to push a lot of things back and create double, triple, no joke, quadruple in some areas, the amount of runoff space to slow an IndyCar down. Uh, 
another thing too, which it's part of why watching a DPI or an LMP one car or whatever it is just at full song at road Atlanta is such an amazing visceral thing to experience is, you know, at Indy, if you're sitting wherever the car is whipping by, if you're sitting vaguely close to the fence, the car is blasting by you at 220 miles an hour, just in a straight line. It's a punch in the chest. It's crazy. You get that at road Atlanta, you get some amazing straight line speed. What you get that's different from a lot of places we go to, not all, right? You look at a road America. There are some brutally fast corners that indie cars travel through. The kink obviously being the thing that most folks just can't believe. Physics keep indie cars on the ground there. There's a where the kink is the big standout at Road America. Road Atlanta, you've got turn one, you've got part of the S's. Uh, you've got up over the hill there. You've got blasting down the hill uh, under the bridge, hanging the right onto the front straight. There's two or three, maybe even four, Road America style kinks where you're just your heart is in your throat watching prototypes go through there, praying a tire doesn't go down or suspension doesn't break or something because they're going to have to send out a search party to find the vehicle. It's going to go so far. So the, the thing here where I think it just doesn't work in its current layout, Joshua is there are too many corners where obscene cornering speeds are experienced. And so it's not just a case of, Hey, you go really fast in a straight line and you need more runoff in case the throttle sticks or whatever else it's, the car is turning and often turning hard. There's a huge amount of load. And if something were to go wrong and the car would slide off the track while turning with that load, the distance between it leaving the track and hitting something very hard is super short, which means the driver is going to hit the wall a ton and some bad things are going to happen to their body. Uh, forget arrow screen, forget all these things, just the human body strapped into an object, pounding a wall with that much force. Scary. Turn one at road Atlanta. I mean, that's the, the kink is frightful. The concept of an indie car going almost flat out through turn one and having a problem. I genuinely don't want to think about the ramifications so if and when the amazed, truly amazing folks, and I love the folks who run Road Atlanta, decide that IndyCar is a thing they must have, uh, they would need to spend millions of dollars to make alterations to their circuit just to be sure that IndyCar drivers had the safety needed to navigate that place. Let's go to Paul, and I'm going to pronounce your last name correctly here because you give me the instructions paul says mp in the previous episode during your driven to synopsis i hope you enjoyed that i had a lot of fun you asked how to pronounce my last name it's trahan although there have been family arguments over the pronunciation for our own last name so maybe i'm wrong anyways 
My question for this week is, out of all the special and one-off liveries this season, which one was your favorite? Hashtag me personally, hands down, I have to go with Felix Frozenquist's Monster Energy Livery. I really hope Monster does more sponsorship with IndyCar in the near future. He says, P.S., I bleeping love the Joe Tonto quarter retrieval t-shirt. As soon as it's available, I'm buying one. That's great. Uh, I'm glad to hear it. Uh, unlike all the other t-shirts that are sold at torontomotorsports.com that are MP podcast t-shirts, Weekend IndyCar, etc., etc., uh, this is one where some of the proceeds are actually going to come back to me. Uh, I don't really care about that stuff. So I'm just greatly appreciative of Derek Koska and the fine folks there at torontomotorsports.com that make T-shirts and stickers and whatever stuff you all might like available so you can have it. Um, this is something where, without belaboring the point, uh, our bills are significant enough to where, uh, yeah, uh, I we need to generate wherever we can so uh they will certainly be available here very very soon and thank you for the uh the request for that paul trahan i'm with you i've thought back through my favorite liveries of the year and felix's that really just amazing monster energy livery that did it for me i loved the living heck out of it so uh, yeah more give me more Last question here coming in from the Facebook, and then we're going to close with questions all saved from the good, good, fine people, the Reddit IndyCar Collective. Going to go with Thomas Ayrton, who says, MP, I'm sure you saw Charles Leclerc's mirror slash bodywork come off and hit Lewis Hamilton's halo, the most recent round. Wondering if you can point to this as just another reason why IndyCar needs what they've developed with the halo. It's exactly it, Thomas. The reason they said we're going to do more than a halo, we're going to wrap it with a protective screen is to ensure that smaller items don't get into the cockpit. But as Tino Belli, IndyCar's director of aerodynamic development, has said, what we don't want to have as well is a ricochet down into the cockpit. So something hitting the bottom of the halo and then that energy being shot straight into the driver's torso. Uh, A ricochet of something hard into a driver's chest, stomach, just general torso and core, uh, maybe even arm, who knows. That's the thing they're trying to avoid with the screen in front of the halo. And so, again, we've gotten lucky more often than not with things like this that we've seen uh, coming off of cars and deflecting off of the AFP in IndyCar or the Halo, but yeah, it's the potential of it actually not going up or out, but in that the screen itself is meant to prevent. And here we are in the home stretch. It's Reddit IndyCar group time. Starting off with full of BMP. I have no idea what that is. So it seems Hinch has now confirmed it's spam, or is he? The problem is you see comments from Zach Brown, McLaren CEO, saying he is confirmed, but no real statement from the team. That's the thing that keeps me worried. Seems to be a bit of a groundhog's day of fun here. I'll just recap quickly because I believe we're in the same place 
as we have been. Maybe, though, a little bit farther in the one direction you've mentioned. So from the outset, when this was announced, we have known, not have made up, we've known for a fact that while Hinch was saying all the right things, as you would advise him to do, uh, he has and was looking very hard at Honda options, maintain his personal relationship, financial relationship, promotional relationship with Honda, with Honda of Canada. Pretty smart thing to do. That's what he was trying to preserve, talking with a lot of teams, trying to create that reality for himself. Didn't get anywhere, as I've mentioned. Took a while. Honda finally started to warm to the idea finally started to say, yeah, okay, yeah, we, we see the benefit and value and started trying to assist in that effort. When we were at Monterey, might have seen me tweet out that uh, there could be some very significant news to come down today. And that was, I believe, on a Saturday maybe. And know from a couple of sources, strong sources, that there were talks going on between Spam and Honda, keeping in mind that Spam was needing to get out of the final year of their Honda supply contract to move to Chevy. I do know from some solid sources that there were talks going on where amending the final year of the lease release was being discussed in order to free Hinch and get Hinch out of the final year of his contract. Kind of a, we'll let you out of ours if you let him out of his kind of thing. And there was even the possibility of that being announced at Monterey. That's what my tweet alluded to without telling you what it was, but that's what there was a possibility of that happening and being announced. Didn't happen. And when that didn't happen it led me to believe that maybe this is not going to be a reality for Hinch. That, I don't want to say getting out of the contract as if it's bad people and he wants to get away from spam. No, no, no. Just team owners have decided to go in a direction uh, with a new partner. New partner is a good one, obviously, in McLaren. But go in a direction that doesn't really fit where James has been at with corporate partnership and support. We've said all along as well, once this came down, uh, we knew for sure that Hinch would be looking and trying to make some sort of Honda alignment work to stay with a Honda team, but that if that did not work out, and it might not, that's staying with Spam and exercising, completing that third and final year of his contract might end up being the best option available. Not necessarily the best option he would want commercially, but there were concerns. I know that I voiced them, Robin Miller voiced them, I'm sure others have as well, that with not too many seats available within Honda teams that we think would be offered to Hinch or that he would want, wasn't as if he just had five to choose from. It's going to be easy to find. Thank you, Spam. But hey, boy, I mean, just fell in to a great deal 
with another team using Hondas. That was never going to be the case. Of the possibilities that we have written about and spoken about and mentioned on the podcast, you had Andretti Autosport. That was never really going to happen. You have Dale Coin Racing. Um, just was never something that I viewed as a realistic place that Hinch would try and go. No disrespect to the Coin family. Just not something I knew of that he was actively pursuing. You look at Michael Shank's team. They're super happy and, and whatnot with Jack Harvey. You look at the Chip Ganassi team. For whatever reason, they've never really cottoned on to the uh, mayor of Hinchtown experience. So don't believe that they were ever considering him seriously for a third car that Marcus Erickson ended up getting. And you move on down the line, just strictly in the Honda world. I mean, after coin, you get to what has been, you know, now merged and shutting down as a standalone Harding Steinbrenner racing. Then it's Ray Hall. And so with the way things have kind of come together, looking at the merger of Harding Steinbrenner with Andretti, that uh, which we reported about a while ago, that took away going to Andretti. No option there. Plus, again, I don't know if uh, everything's super happy there in terms of working together uh, once more. Not saying that there's bad feelings, just... You know, some folks are like, yeah, let's do it again. Others are like, hey, we did it. That was cool. We've evolved since then into different folks, different people, different directions. So just coming back to the primary question here, small window, small pool of opportunities, really. We're looking at Ganassi in their third car, knowing Ganassi probably wasn't looking at Hinch, though, and also knowing that while we believe Hinch has some awesome and amazing partners that want to contribute financially wasn't shopping a full five to six million dollar budget by any any means Uh, coin again uh, being the the second coin driver i don't think so much a thing that hinch would have considered from there it's truly ray hall and i've heard some some interesting things in the past couple of days about how far away the third Ray Hall car from a team having funding to make it a reality standpoint. It is obviously two scenarios. You could either have a team say, look, we found sponsors and now we're going to search for a driver to hire, which is what the team alluded to. And the story that we did, I don't know, a month or two ago, uh, heard from some folks who might have inquired, might have gotten a feel there that, you know, maybe there isn't a whole lot sitting there on the team-sponsored side. Could be a prime opportunity, though, for a fully funded driver to make that third entry happen. But with Hinch, as we believe, sitting right In the middle, if we're talking, budget to offer would not appear to be enough to activate that Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan third entry. So it does kind of seem to lean towards 
don't hold me to this because it's still early in the off season and you know lots of things could develop more money could be found the team could find a sponsor they could meet in the middle two halves making a hole but it certainly does appear more and more like Hinch's preferred scenario behind the scenes. He's never said it publicly, so keep in mind, not speaking for him, but from what we know behind the scenes, Hinch's preferred scenario to stay in Honda land, uh, it's become a pretty significant long shot. And so that does lead me to believe that the more warm and fuzzy scenario painted by Zach recently in print uh, would not be surprised at all if Spam confirms Hinch and also confirms someone like an Oliver Askew, possibly one or two others that I think I know of that might be under serious consideration. But uh, if we were to hear about that lineup being what they had to go forward, would not be shocked at all. But main takeaway here, that that bigger scope of possibility for the mayor uh, even a month ago, seems like it has become pretty darn narrow that might lead to staying for 2020 with spam being the best possible situation to keep him in the series. Uh, Snuffy Sniper, you ask, where do we get the Joe Tonto Quarter Retrieval Service t-shirts? Again, that'll be from torontomotorsports.com here soon. Uh, funnily enough, my wife and I were coming back from an appointment today and coming up the elevator uh, just as we were getting out the person going in was a delivery person from dhl and there you go and as we walked down the hall and opened the door to our little town home uh, didn't see any tags we're like oh, okay guess it wasn't for us and then saw email note that a delivery of some t-shirts some Joe Tonto quarter retrieval service t-shirts sent by torontomotorsports.com to me via DHL. Uh, they tried to deliver, but there's no one here to answer. So, uh, yeah, awesome. DHL. <laughs> uh, yeah. Fun watching the guy with the stuff in your hand, get into the elevator. Uh, so anyways, hopefully I'll have that here shortly. And then, uh, once I take a look at it and, Give the thumbs up that all is good. Then we will start getting them printed, and you can buy them. I'm uh, going to go to Sleeping BMW, who says, JPM and Le Mans, is it possible that he's ever going to try it? Would certainly say that had Porsche's LMP1 program continued, I think he would have been part of that. Know that there are increasing talks between the French that run the 24 hours of Le Mans and those who run IMSA about coming up with a way to get DPIs there. Uh, Maybe in their own class, I'm not sure, but this has been the dream. It's been shot down many times. Just heard from some colleagues that for reasons we'd hoped would have been evident and raging years ago it sounds like this could be a possibility in the not too distant future and if that were to happen i would almost guarantee acura would have team penske getting ready to head east to le mans 
with their Air X05 DPIs. Who knows what it'll be called if it's the next generation. Air X06? Not sure, but uh, provided JPM is still a part of things, and I think he will. He truly loves racing that Acura. Assuming that he's going to want to keep doing this for a few more years, hoping that things come together between the U.S. and France to get our top prototypes over there competing, I would certainly say that is the most likely scenario for JPM to possibly contest and earn the Triple Crown. I'm going to go to a little bit of a longer one here from Easy-D121585. This is a little bit of a crazy question here, Marshall, so hold on. With the next IndyCar engine formula set to be a 2.4-liter twin-turbo V6 with a 50-horsepower spec hybrid system, and with NASCAR looking at hybrids for their next engine formula, would it be possible for IndyCar and NASCAR to share an engine platform? I remember hearing about a, quote, universal engine platform in the early 1990s on a kart broadcast that would be for Indy, F1, and sports cars. I can see how that would not work, both NASCAR and IndyCar, both racing on ovals and road courses. Maybe? This is NASCAR stated that they want more road relevance with their next engine formula. It's aiming for around 550 to 600 horses. I thought this was a little bit of a crazy question. And where else to ask a crazy question than the Marshall Pro Podcast? Is this at all possible, or do I have a bad case of Monday morning derangement? Hashtag me personally. Well, I don't think it's a case of derangement. I think that a lot of what we discuss on this show, and you all do, and I do sometimes on social media or wherever, is just pitch stuff out like this and see if there's something there. So, nah, this is just the deal. It's what we do. We, We bat stuff around and, I don't know, maybe convince ourselves it's real. I would say that the chances are greater for NASCAR to dictate an open-wheel formula as their next Gen 8 vehicle or whatever it might be than they would look to align with any other non-NASCAR-owned series when it comes to engines, hybrids, anything. Uh I would say that while there are many similarities here, I would say just interpret this as changes in the automotive industry sweeping over motor racing and it having a blanket effect compared to, oh, they're going to end up in a similar place and they're going to end up in a similar place. Could they work together? Quite the opposite. This is the automotive industry saying, Hey, big old lumpy V8s, yeah, uh, that's not what we consider to be a sustainable marketing message. So you have IMSA, where their DPIs, which will be going hybrid, they're open. They say, look, if you want to do a small four-cylinder turbo, medium-sized twin-turbo V6, naturally aspirated a non-turbo v8 knock yourself out do it whatever whatever is relevant to you do that we'll find a way to balance it granted and this is the truth in podcasting policy 
IMSA is complete garbage when it comes to achieving balance of performance excellence. There are some races where you say, hey, there's three classes that are being performance balanced in the WeatherTech Championship. And this one class is amazing. Look how close it is of the however many seven manufacturers involved in this particular class. There's the top five are all different models. Look how close it is. You go, great. You got it. Absolutely true. What about the other two classes where, I mean, there's, there's one model that's just dragging a boat anchor the whole time. And there's another one that's just running away like a scalded cat and destroying the field. Uh, Yeah. So where I love IMSA's openness in DPI, there's been pretty significant problems all year long. Whether it's Cadillac more or less dominating the first three races, winning the first three races. Then Acura took the baton. Acura had it for a little while. Mazda then took it, ran off three in a row. Then Acura got it back, put in some great performances, some more winning. And by pretty much the end of the year, Acura had the whole thing in the bag. Uh, Still a chance that Cadillac could come through in the driver's championship, at least. Um, Know that Cadillac obviously won the final race of the year, Petit Le Mans, but, you know, their their fate had been sealed a long time ago, strictly due to incompetence with BOP management. So I just mentioned this in this little BOP thing, which isn't part of our world in IndyCar, because anything like aligning or doing similar things uh, between different championships, you name it, you start to get into a scenario where you go, Huh, yeah, I just could never see NASCAR saying we're going we're gonna to adopt what IndyCar is doing and follow their regulations. Could they end up in the same place by saying, for example, the next engine formula will be, say, exactly 2.4 liters, twin-turbo V6? Sure. Well, again, does that mean that the exact rules on the deck height v angle piston this uh, injector that does it mean that all of the rules and fairly strict dimensions laid out in the indycar rules would be adopted universally for nascars i guarantee it wouldn't they'd allow some things that were different because they have different needs since they are 95 percent oval based Um, so even if they ended up with the same displacement, same cylinders and twin turbo as well, I could not see it being a truly shared spec formula across the two different championships. So in that scenario, if there were a manufacturer wanting to play in both, uh, there would have to be some performance balancing. If IndyCar would even allow it. Or if NASCAR would allow IndyCar's engine over there. I just, yeah. I would say read what we're seeing with IndyCar, IMSA, and very likely NASCAR. All being hybrid using 
battery-based electrification, electrified horsepower, uh, would not interpret that as folks ending up in the same spot. Therefore, they can all work together. It's the automotive industry, the folks spending money, the manufacturers involved saying, if you want us here, you need to go to the place that you haven't been for whatever reason. You need to join us in modern society. So that's, again, that's not in the spirit of folks working together. Unfortunately, going to go to Eater Flozada. You know, Reddit screen names. Somebody needs to do a documentary about it. Uh, Eater Flozada says, Hola, Marshall. This is my first time posting a question for you. Well, thank you. So, so I found it interesting that during the weekend, Patricio Award visited Mexico City. He made a media tour and did appearances with fans. Instead of being around the Red Bull slash Toro Rosso garages at the Japanese Grand Prix in Suzuka, which would have been useful for him as the last round of the Japanese Super Formula category will be held at the same track in two weeks. He could have been learning about the layout, setup, or simply just getting the attention of Helmut Marco. So here's my question. Is this a sign that Red Bull is no longer interested in him? Or am I reading too much into it? Maybe if he's a contender for the seat at Spam, Red Bull don't want a war to gather much data from them as McLaren could end up learning from it. This is my last bit of speculation, as I think it's a very long shot for this to happen. Uh, I had a similar thought watching, I think, a video of young Pato, uh, young duck boy, uh, doing, I think, an in-store appearance somewhere with awesome fans and whatnot in Mexico City. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I try not to read things into things, but then there's just some very obvious things like, all right, so I know that Red Bull has signed you as a junior driver and they have dispatched you to Japan for the Super Formula category. He has not been living in Japan, though. He has been commuting back and forth. This would, I would say, be something that, as a guy that they've placed in Japan, to race there at least, that having him there would have been smart. Would have There would have been some smart things, you would think, to go on here. I don't know why, but I can tell you that I don't expect things to work out in his favor with Red Bull. Just rehashing a little bit of what I've mentioned on recent listener Q&A episodes, it's a cockamamie thing they've done. Uh, If they wanted to develop him, they should have. I'm guessing it might have actually been cheaper for them to throw $3 million at Carlin to keep him in a car for the rest of the year and just learn just more miles, more reps, more everything uh, other than racing at Suzuka, which part of the formula one calendar F one formula two GP three, whatever other training categories at Red Bull might think he should be in. They don't go to other destinations there that I can think of. So there's no kind of getting you up to speed on the the Formula One circuit plan of having him tucked away in Japan. Just something that for them has been 
a championship they've used to try and groom young talent. Uh, yeah, I. It was a great thing to be considered for and an invitation to receive. I can't fault him for accepting it because they flew him over to Austria and he tested an F1 car, older F1 car, and just was in the simulator and was super quick and it all looked and felt great. The time to step in would have been when the Harding Steinbrenner thing went ass up in January, before the IndyCar season, before any season, when a kid who just won the Indy Lights Championship qualified fifth in his first IndyCar race, finished whatever it was, seventh or eighth, clearly demonstrated, wow, this kid is special, and he has so much left to learn. When things went sideways, and he was without a team, had nothing to drive at the season opener at St. Pete, I mean, when the kid was just kind of flapping in the breeze, trying to find something to uh, stick the landing with that would be the time uh, we know that at circuit of circuit of the americas as my mouth tries to protest we know at coda he was very impressive maybe that's something that caught helmet marco's i was gonna say eye. Oh, it's bad he only has one eye sorry <laughs> jeez i have to censor myself i'm gonna put myself on timeout all right i'm back um Maybe that caught Helmut Marco's eye. I don't know. Hey, we've seen F1 cars race there. We've been there with F1. We've won races there. Hey, this kid just ran really well in his debut with a new team. And who knows? Can't tell you if that's what added up to wanting to get a hold of him and see if they could make something work. I just can tell you that drafting this kid into something, you know, halfway through the Super Formula season and hoping that without any testing, without any anything, he was just magically going to be P1 and set the world on fire. Nobody was going to do that. Nobody. So, yeah, going back in time with the advantage of hindsight, I would love to have advised Pato and said, say no. Sounds great, but say no. Uh, Let's see. Going to go to... Or have some. Who says, did you have an embargo on the Marcus Erickson to Chip Ganassi story? Or were you caught off guard by that? Very logical signing as well. If you happen to catch the Week in IndyCar with Marcus as my guest this week, you might have heard him mention that uh, I supplied him with a couple of phone numbers to team owners, uh, ones that he did not have. And... Yeah, it's not as if Marcus was calling me and giving me updates about how conversations were going with this team or that. Uh, I would never ask for such a thing. It's not like, all right, I'll give you these numbers, but you then owe me something. Never done that. Would not do that. Uh, Nor would I expect him to tell me private things. Um, That would not be professional on his end. Uh, I can say that he was unaware of the possibility to be in a third car at Ganassi. And so knowing that was the case, and I think that I'd yet to write that, I'd learned that, been told that uh, by the team. 
but had yet to make that public knowledge. Uh, I believe timing worked out where I mentioned that to Marcus before it was really a known thing and before the team had started looking for potential third drivers. And so he might have been kind of at the front of the front of the queue there and made sure that he had the correct phone numbers uh, and his manager did as well, Ekanasi. So would have been no surprise. Didn't have an embargo on the story, but as I maybe mentioned last week, I don't know. Uh, sometimes I forget. Uh, when Marcus and I caught up at Monterey, he did mention that um, the contacts he received were were he was said thanks for that and said that things were going very well. And knowing the other contacts that I gave him, knowing where the, what the status was of those teams and how only one of the other ones that I gave him really might have been an option, um, it without saying it, uh, without hinting it, just me doing the math in my head, it spelled things were going very well with CGR. And so, yeah, I think, I don't know, four or five days before the news came out, myself, our man, Robin Miller, I don't know if it was by phone or email, but uh, he had mentioned, you know, hey, I'm here and something might be going on there. So I said, yeah, I think that's coming down the pipeline here pretty quick. So uh, there you go. Uh, just a little bit of uh, behind the scenes info there. Speaking of behind the scenes, my friend David Porteous from Canada uh, did a cool little thing at Portland, which is my first race back after being gone all summer uh, with what's been going on at home. Said, hey, uh, I want to let IndyCar teams know that there's another person they might consider to do some cool social media slash video type stuff. Uh, and what do you think about me just following you around Portland uh, and capturing a little film there and doing something with it just to showcase what I can do? and hopefully attract some business from IndyCar teams, to which I said, sure, let's do it, man. Uh, put together a cool little film called The Fine Print. It is 11 minutes long and chronicles the chasing of the ABC supply leaving the Foyt team thing that Robin and myself um, did and were pursuing at Portland. So anyways, um yeah, just I don't know why that came to mind here, but if you get a chance, I think that's on Racer under the very benign title of video colon behind the scenes. A lot of work went into that one. Thanks. Um, yeah, you might check it out. So just a little bit more of the process of chasing stories, knowing stuff, having to sit on stuff, trying to develop things. I don't know if anybody cares about any of this, but uh, thanks to David who did a pretty awesome job it was a it was a great surprise how nice it was uh, all right we're getting down to the final questions here marshall from a truly fart that being fernando alonso racing team from a truly fart selfish point of view who would spam hire to be the experienced setup guy for the team at indy to be fernando's teammate he says mclaren did great with marco and dreddy ryan hunter ray and rossi helping Alonzo to get acclimated and have a killer setup. As of now, I don't think Hinch fills the bill. Says my vote is for Tony Canon, Eldio Castroneves, or even Ryan Briscoe to find a strong setup for the effort. Who would you hire to be that experienced indie teammate if you were team manager at Spam? And that's from Rod Vicroy from Chicago. Thanks, Rod. 
Well, my old pal Tony Kanon has never been accused of being the world's finest setup man, and so I wouldn't go in that direction. Um, Elio. Elio would need to no longer drive for Roger Penske for that to happen. And yeah, I don't think he's that dumb. Uh, Briscoe, you might be onto something there. Uh, I think we're going to see him back in the Chevy family in the prototype front in IMSA. So him being in a Chevy powered something might not be a bad idea at all. Would I be crazy to say although I know he angered some folks this year at Indy with the, this exact team, minus the McLaren part. Oriole Servia, that guy's pretty darn strong. But, you know, let, let's be honest, Hinch is pretty darn good at the old Indianapolis Motor Speedway, so I wouldn't discount Hinch in that regard. Here's the, the best direction to take things, though, Rod. Drivers don't come up with great setups. Engineers come up with great setups. It is a collaborative effort with drivers, for sure. But ultimately, ride height, rake, camber, toe, on and on and on and on. Those are numbers that engineers develop. Then go and test, either in true testing, but by and large during practice. Driver who can give really good feedback is going to help that team find better directions keeping another thing in mind too this is unique to indy we never know what race day is going to be like temperature wise never know what the just overall atmosphere is going to be like in terms of heat humidity wind and so on so that's why we have so much practice time we never have just linear every day is 70 degrees and the barometer is this Guys are out there, women are out there going around and around every day trying to develop cars that are quick and capable and do all kinds of wonderful things in different conditions so that hopefully come race day, you have something, a setup sheet from one of those days where the numbers for the ambient atmospheric conditions more or less align and match. So you can say, aha, remember on that Thursday, (laughs) we developed this and this is going to be our base setup for race day because this is what we've woken up and found for race day. And so what you need is not just a driver who can put up the fastest lap of the month in practice. What you need is someone who every day, since usually every day is a little bit different, terms of that temperature, barometric pressure, and so on, wind, you need a driver who can, day after day, help point you in the right direction. So while on Wednesday, speeds might be down six miles an hour, just, quote, slow day, great, fine, you still want the person to have you in the top three, four, five, no toe, without a toe where you can say this car is handling extremely well. And we know that if we have this condition on race day, we're going to have a great car. If things are rocket fast, you want to be up towards the front there too, whatever the scenario. So I would say that's the person I'm thinking of 
for a veteran driver that can help. I would say this too. I'd say Fernando's pretty darn good as well, Rod. Although he's not exactly done a trillion miles there, this guy is really sharp in terms of direction and certainly was given a lot of credit for really being on top of the car, really helping Eric Bretzman with Andretti in 2017 with keeping the car sharp in terms of setup throughout the race and making the necessary changes, giving lots of great feedback. So uh, I don't think that we'd be seeing a, a huge issue here with spam going into the month of May with Hinch there, even with Askew as a rookie possibly, and Fernando. I think those would be three drivers who can give back a lot of good feedback. Again, Hinch has never been accused of being the best, but still, um, the guy can certainly get around the speedway. Where they are going to need to make some wholesale improvements at Spam is in the overall engineering package. Uh, Blair Perschbacher, uh, that guy's sneaky good. Will Anderson. Very good as well, but also very young. Still learning a lot. Parted ways with their technical director, Todd Malloy, in August. So this is a team in need of a kind of a a big upgrade. I mean, frankly, I think it's filling the position. Maybe they have, and I don't know. But this is not strictly about who's on the timing stand calling the setup changes. It's maybe more about the big brain the technical director, the person to really set the overall tone for R&D, all the things that are needed to make the team competitive, not just at Indy, but all the rest of the circuits as well. That's the thing they haven't had. They've had technical directors. They have good people there. They don't have as a transformational person, to my knowledge. Again, unless they've hired someone I'm unaware of. If we think of Team Penske, that's Ron Rizuski, long-time race engineer, long-time race engineer, was Elio's race engineer for many of his wins. Um, Just, again, peerless, peerless guy. Uh, Moved off of the timing stand in terms of being a full-time race engineer, became technical director. Uh, Coming back to a question much, much earlier from Wendy Carr about Joseph Newgarden. Has he been underappreciated in what he has achieved? Not only yes, but I also think that the timing of Ron Rizuski moving into this full-time technical director, knowing that he does some race engineering too as needed when uh, Gavin Ward and his wife, they're getting ready to have their first child. Ron stepped in. Ron's usually there for the month of May as well when they expand to four cars looking after one. But nonetheless, Penske's success, I would say, has risen as well since Ron has been in this senior most technical position. But you look at the folks who, you know, are there. Julian Robertson at Chip Ganassi Racing, Eric Bretzman at Andretti Autosport. So reason some of these teams are just badasses on a consistent basis. And although there's amazing folks on the timing stand making those calls. Uh, It's usually that really big, crazy, weird, giant-brained person who's dreamt up the things that have set the tone for a lot of that success to be manifested and developed. 
between the driver and race engineer. So I'd say that rod is really the place. If spam is going to succeed at the speedway in May, it's going to be less about exactly who's driving the cars and who they find to be that leader visionary on the engineering side. Let's go to business dash travel. Says during the Sky Sports F1 coverage at Suzuka this past weekend, a couple of the hosts on the broadcast during the pre and post sessions talked about McLaren's involvement in IndyCar. One of the hosts mentioned that Zach and McLaren are looking at possibly bringing over one of the F2 drivers from this year's championship. Says two of the names that were mentioned were Latifi and Giotto for possibly being some options for McLaren's IndyCar effort next year. Do you see this as a realistic possibility? Would Zach even want to bring over an F2 driver to IndyCar where lack of experience in this kind of racing, i.e. ovals, would be very evident, even though the skill and talent would be there? Would surprise me for sure. The only reason I can think that would happen is if Latifi, who we know is, he isn't, but father, family's loaded, is if the Latifi said, we want our kid in IndyCar and put the money behind that to make it happen. Other than that, I believe they are going to stick to general IndyCar-centric people. Going to go to Fleetwood Mark. Says, MP, glad you and Chabrell got settled. Sorry again, I wasn't able to help you move. Turned out my dentist appointment. That day got canceled. But then my phone went on the fritz that morning, so I couldn't reach you. Anyway... Would you support, and do you think enough powers that would be support, uh, a system of off-season actions that would give lesser teams via the point standings opportunities to improve more than bigger teams, i.e. higher draft picks and stick and ball sports, equaling an extra day or two of testing on tracks which others wouldn't be allowed to test on, X amount of days of free wind tunnel time or shaker rigs, etc. Would Mark Miles and company even consider it? And could they withstand the opposition from the big boys? Yeah, coming back to the old democracy angle here, uh, the free marketedness here. We're always going to have inequity. Period. <laughs> that might just be the end of the answer. Uh, there's always going to be haves and have nots. There, since life became life, man, the bigger thing ate the smaller thing. The bigger tree, I guess I'm thinking back to uh, Rush lyrics now. Bigger tree got all the sun, cast the shade on the smaller trees, which died, and so on and so forth. Um, the 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 truth of the matter is here, like every other stick and ball sport, where there are the big badasses. And then the constant hapless, the Washington Generals, the O and 597s in the sport. We don't have any of those, really. We got maybe one or two, but you know, the reality is I don't see how you could sell. Hey, you guys aren't very good, so we're going to give you stuff as a I guess you could say reward for being bad. We're going to give you more opportunities to catch up. The great thing about IndyCar is anybody can purchase 
a chassis. While I don't want to say that Chevy and Honda would give anybody an engine lease, if you can afford it and prove that you're going to be a competent team, you can probably get an engine lease. No, things are getting a little tight now towards the end of this engine formula, but if you want to go into car racing, you can. I'm very confident that if someone had the budget and the ability to do it, IndyCar would find a way through Honda or Chevy to make that possible. But there are teams that have ample budgets that make very little out of that ample budget. Uh, We might have just been speaking about one that's been accused of having a significant budget and not delivering to the degree you would expect for the amount of money that they are receiving. Do you give them extra test days, extra this, extra that, knowing that they squandered it? It's, (laughs) hate to say it, but it reminds me a little bit of me in high school, Uh, especially my junior and senior years where I'd started working as a mechanic for uh, my friend Mike McHugh and his Barry, a distributing SCCA pro racing Super V team. And then when I went to work after that at TR Race Service as a mechanic, I did not care about high school. I cut so many classes, just skipped so many days. Uh, Truly, all I wanted to do was go to races, work on race cars, be in racing, talk about racing, think about it, read about it, dream about it, sing about it. That's all I wanted to do. Now, I can't tell you where my brain rates compared to others. I know I'm a pretty smart guy. I know um, intellectually things are pretty good. I know that things misfire a lot these days, and I don't hesitate to mention it. But, you know, my brain works pretty good. I can think. Uh, When I applied myself, excellent grades. Lots of very encouraging things. When I was committed, fully committed, and got the most out of myself in high school especially the last two years, there wasn't a lot of that going on. So despite having the potential, having the means, uh, I kind of sucked. and I almost didn't graduate because I was so shy on credits because I didn't show up as much as I should have that, yeah, actually, funnily enough, got yanked out of the graduation line. <laughs> we were supposed to graduate high school. We were walking down behind a little bit of a downhill slope, a bunch of trees to our right, walked down this uh, little approach. Then we were all the graduating class of 1988, Carmont High School in Belmont, California. We are supposed to make the right out onto the little baseball field, grass in the outfield where all of our parents were sat. So it was going to be this nice little kind of revealing of the graduating class. Just as I was supposed to make the right, onto the grass i generally got yanked out of line hey you're not supposed to be here you're on our list of people that don't have enough credits to graduate and i might have started crying like losing it but like you know really distraught and disturbed 
and had to explain that, no, 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 I do. I've been putting in extra time doing this and that and the other to try and make up because I found out with about a month to go that, hey, by the way, idiot, you're not going to graduate because, yeah, you cut too much because you like to play race cars. Uh, so I did a lot of extra work and, yeah, got that resolved. But I almost got yanked out and didn't graduate. Um, but this, to me, I just think of myself and how, despite having no reason to fail, I almost failed. And so, yeah, I would say if I'm looking at a Hunkos racing, knowing that they have no money, they weren't able to do full-time anything. Dragon speed, maybe. I can think of a couple of tiny teams, part-timers, barely part-timers, where you might say as IndyCar, hey, we know testing regulations are crazy tight. We know that the engine manufacturers aren't exactly giving away free mileage. If we were to work out a thing where you got an extra day to try a new driver to help us, an Indy Lights driver or something, help groom someone who might not be your driver, but at least you know we can say, hey, that's a nice off-season story while things are really quiet, nothing's going on. Could I see that? Maybe. And I would only say I could see that because I don't believe any of the other teams would protest because none of the teams feel threatened by a Hunkos or a Dragon Speed right now. If we're talking about a pick any one of the other teams that didn't win this season, you'd probably get a lot of protesting. So the only way I could see this work would be if it's a part-timer, if it's all these things where you go, truly no one's worried about them, maybe. But even then, I think IndyCar would want something back. Okay, you'll get an extra day, but we pick the driver. And we might have some things we want you to try. Maybe it's an aero screen with a thing we just came up with towards the end we want to test out or something like that. But I just come back to the base of everybody has an equal opportunity to buy, to staff, to manage, to strategize, to pit stopify, to refuelify. <laughs> um, there's a reason that the best are the best and remain the best. And the mid pack, despite having high ambitions, kind of tend to stay the mid pack. And the ones that are at the back and suck. And I've worked for some of them. So trust me, it's not me casting aspersions. I was a part of the suckitude uh, as well. The ones at the back, it's where they deserve to be. I don't know if I can think of any teams recently where you go, ooh, boy, they had a rough season. Boy, they're way down there. Wasn't their fault. You know, there's only so many cartoon anvils that can fall from the sky. There just comes a point where you go, hey, you've made bad decisions. Or with some of the teams, Foyt comes to mind, you've made no decisions. You've stuck with the same old, same old for too long. And look where it's gotten you. We're going to give you something because while everyone else is saying, please choose a new pick, whatever it is, engineer, driver, mechanic, truck driver, hospital. I don't, again, I don't, whatever, man, this formula isn't working. Don't stick with it. Hey, we're announcing we're coming back with the same, everything you go. <laughs> what do you expect? You can apply that to many of the teams that are not succeeding. So 
you can give them an extra test day, give them extra wind tunnel, shaker rig, all these things. Although wind tunnel days and shaker rigs, you know, teams, some teams own their own shaker rigs. They're on them 24 hours a day. Um, it's an exaggeration, but you know, the things that are truly restricted, you can give them extra ones of those, but I mean, those teams haven't made the most out of what they've had to begin with. Why would we think getting more of it would change anything? So, I get the point, and my the the negative take on this here is certainly nothing aimed at you. Just it's the way it is. Folks need to improve, and an extra test day or two is not going to transform those that have been underperforming. Uh, Buckshot three, we saw an absolutely amazing race at Road Atlanta for Petit Le Mans. Is there any chance in the future we could see IndyCar at Road Atlanta? The track has a very interesting layout. And I'm interested if you think IndyCar would do well there. Already answered that one, but just wanted to read it because I appreciate you sending it in. Here's a good one from Hitoroki2. Hello, hello. Can we start talking about a great of a driver Kyle Kirkwood is? He's won the USF4 and F3 titles along with his championships in USF2000 and Indy Pro 2000 series. The guy's an absolute beast. I'm sort of confused, though. If someone wins USF4 and F3 titles, where does that driver go? Don't they earn a chance to race in Europe? Uh, is it just a title that led nowhere? If it does lead to Europe, the fact that Kirkwood decided to stick with the road Indy shows his dedication to IndyCar. Need to plead ignorance here. I have no idea what the SCCA Pro Racing Series USF 4 and F3 titles lead to or earn. And no disrespect to them. I don't know. I don't look at either one of those as serious things while they're good things preparatory things uh, f4 i'd say even f the f3 category it's below anything the road indy has to offer so while you can learn a lot and those are you know pre steps on the ladder uh really the proper ladder starts in usf 2000 um looking at kyle I mean, I would struggle to say a kid that's doing well right now but has yet to compete in any lights. I I wouldn't think to rave about him as a great driver. I'd say the kid has a stupendous amount of talent at this level, and I believe he will continue to grow and do better. And he has all the bones of someone who could become an amazing IndyCar driver. But let's see what... Indy Lights looks like. I do know that I heard a story that Honda, coming out of the USF 4 and F3 stuff, the end of 2018 was thinking enough about him that they were looking at ways to fund him in an Indy Lights car uh, for this year. That didn't happen, but yeah, I think this kid, again, I'm excited about him in the same way I'm excited about Oliver Askew. Also, Braden Eves, winner of the USF 2000 title, uh, just as excited about Hunter McElray, who almost won the USF 2000 title. Uh, there's a lot of young talent here. I think Kyle, for sure, is going to be one to watch. Um, there's a steeliness about Askew. Just, yeah, there's something in that kid's eye that... It stands out. It's always stood out. 
I haven't seen that yet in Kyle. I know he's he's beaten up on a lot of people in winning championships, so that in and of itself is amazing. But you know, we've seen a lot of drivers who beat up the entire class in whatever road to indie level they're in and don't necessarily have the super indie car grade eye of the tiger. So I just like to see that harder edge from Kyle. And if I see that, I would definitely say we're going to have one coming out of Indy Lights that folks need to be very concerned about. All right. What are we down to? The last four questions. Uh, let me take a look here and see where we're at time-wise. We're just, yeah, what, two hours, 15 minutes? All right. It's not too long. I was afraid this is going to be three hours. So let's get to the last ones here. Sent in again from our pals, the Reddit IndyCar group, having already blasted through the Twitters and the book faces. Uh, this is from Bobo Nose 1115 <laughs> With all the drivers being discussed in silly season, I find it curious that sports car ace Brazil's Pipo Durrani hasn't come up at all. I know a few years ago he had a test in a SPM car, and I believe you've written about his investigation into IndyCar opportunities. For hashtag me personally, I love his driving style. I think he has the potential to be a highlight reel like Rossi. He should be in the shortlist for spam. Also, in formulating this question, I've realized that if Tony Kanaan or Matthias Lace don't find a ride in 2020, IndyCar South American representation will be nearly non-existent. Castro Neves, Montoya, Chavez, Santiago, Ruscia, maybe Pato Ward. We're all stars or up-and-comers that are gone. We've started the decade. We started the decade with a race in Brazil and talked about adding another in Mexico. But those talks have gone quiet. Do you think this is concerning to the series that we might lose interest in a fan base? Answer the last part first. Yes, absolutely. Uh, in Pato, I think that kid can be a massive star in America and Mexico and any Spanish-speaking nation. Kid's electric. Personality-wise, driving style-wise, IndyCar needs him. If IndyCar has money to invest uh, and knowing that Jay Fry, having formerly worked for Helmut Marco and the Red Bull organization and NASCAR, if I'm Jay Fry, I'm calling and saying, could you please let him go? Uh, could you please, please, please not pick up his contract? Because I, I hate to say it, but he's not heading to F1. That was the dream. There was the what's going to happen in F1. We're not exactly sure we have the perfect lineup at Red Bull or even Toro Rosso. They've since jumbled things. Alexander Albon is looking like exactly who they had hoped he would be paired alongside for stopping a much stronger teammate. Still needs to develop, but I think he's shown some great, great stuff there. Gasly heading back to Toro Rosso alongside Danny Kvyat. Not sure that, you know, who knows how long he'll be held on to, but regardless... I just don't see F1 being something for Pato with the Red Bull organization or Toro Rosso. So, yeah, of all that you've mentioned, I mean, Tony has another year, maybe two. Mateus, if he can find something, can bring some money, which he has the ability to do, then he could continue, but he just hasn't become really 
anyone that has been rallied around. So more than just having someone from Latin America, Brazil, wherever, I'm just trying to think of someone who can actually engage fans and be someone to root for, not just because of where they're born or the language they might speak, but actually, hey, (laughs) this is an ass kicker. Pato would be that guy in this example for sure. After that, going back to your opening question about Pipo, you know, the results of tests, while lap times might not always be published, they do make the rounds. I know that Pipo did well in the test with SPM, but was not known to exactly light the world on fire. The thing that he does that's pretty amazing is in the racing side, the racing, not necessarily the qualifying. I mean, he's certainly super quick, but uh, his legend at such a young age has been built in the wheel-to-wheel fight, the last hour of the race. This kid, his strength is dogfighting, just true, true aerial, you know, trying to gun down one another type routine. We have seen, though, that paired alongside Felipe Nazar, <laughs> that, you know, just an outright speed. I mean, there's a difference. It's not being critical of Pippo, but yeah, Felipe Nazar has, has kind of reset the, oh, so that is speed. And also when it comes to racing, uh, it's not as if Pippo can pull off passes that Felipe can't or hasn't. So... Between the two, how's this before Felipe uh, arrived, before Nazar was his teammate, I think Pippo's chances of really being highlighted as the guy would have been much stronger. Um, now that he's paired with another Brazilian who is just at a higher level, I think it's just going to make things m- almost impossible. There's a reason no one's talking about Pippo, and yet there are still a couple of teams that are talking hard to Nazar. Going to go to Ryan Wilson, 747. It says, Hello, MP. A couple of years ago, IndyCar posted a video on their YouTube of the year 2000 Delphi Indy 200 at Walt Disney World Speedway. Hey, I was there at that one with uh, Team Extreme with... I don't remember. Uh, Ayrton Dare's car? John Hollinsworth? John Hollinsworth. Wow. Yeah, led by uh, John Lopes. Yeah, there we go. That was the worst year of my racing career. Met the amazing Jeremy Millis, though. He and I were teammates on that team. Uh, I hated life. That year, just as a sidebar, that year, specifically working with Team Extreme, really drove home the fact that I needed to do something different. And while I came back the following year with uh, what ended up being the first year of Schmidt, Sam Schmidt Motorsports, um, working for Team Extreme and the, in some cases, vast idiocy, the vast racism, just it was a shit show inside of a dumpster fire um it made me no longer want to work in indycar that's how bad that team was and as a result taking full blame for myself as well 
in a team that was hot garbage and being as demotivated as I was, I can guarantee you I was giving them nothing that made them better. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I was part of that suckitude that I referred to earlier uh, for sure. But, yeah, this is a team that just I truly was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I just hate this. This is supposed to be a dream job. Not dream like easy, but just how amazing is this? I'm one of, you know, so few people on the planet who get to work in IndyCar, this being the Indy Racing League version that year, um, having worked in cart year before, I think IRL as well, I don't know. But, um, whew, boy, so, yeah, that sucked uh, at good old Walt Disney World that year. Uh, do you think a new race could come to Walt Disney World, even though the track was demolished? Maybe even have a new race on the streets and parking lots for the parks. Uh I mean, anything's possible. I'll just default to my standard answer for such things. Of course, it could happen if someone wanted to approach IndyCar and say, we'd love to have you here. We have lots of money to pay you for a sanction fee. And here are all the ways where it's going to benefit you and your teams and make things prosperous. Anything short of that, the answer would be no. All right, down to two questions. From Bob 4 5 Dash. I have a quick question for you. Since we've started to see tobacco companies start to find, quote, new ways of sponsoring race teams, a couple of forms of motorsports in the last couple of years, Formula One, MotoGP, could there be a possibility that companies such as Philip Morris and British American Tobacco, to name a couple, could be looking to sponsoring some minicar teams? I do know that uh, the BAT side, which has engaged with McLaren, had some related branding, some initiative uh, on Alonzo's car at Indy. So, yeah, I think there might be something there. And, oh, all right. Well, this is the last question. It's not one that I placed as the last question. Um, This is just how it happened to be sent over. Uh, It says, a note from Soy Murcielago. Hey, MP, not really a question, more of an observation. But I wanted to say that in a world that seems saturated with negativity more and more every day, it's refreshing and downright happy to hear about your wife and how much you love her. Much respect and well wishes to you. Thank you for what you do. That's really sweet. Thank you. Um, (laughs) I'm just going to say this because, you know, it's late and why not? I've had a number of people mention something along the lines of, you know, how much you love your wife and, you know, can really see how much you love your wife. And I've only been married once to her, so I have no other frames of reference. But I just assume that's how it works. So with the number of folks that have mentioned this, it makes me think that maybe it isn't. And I know how fortunate I am to have her. I just, yeah, to me, this is just normal. So loving the heck out of my wife and wanting to do any and everything I can for her, uh, that was there before she got sick. It will be there after she is finished with being sick. Um, That's just, you know, uh, that's my girl. Love her. Uh, Just life with her is the thing that has been the greatest part of my life. So, um I don't know. I really appreciate you saying that. 
it also just sticks out to me as a little bit because to me it's like, well, that's why I'm married, right? I mean, if I didn't want to be married, then I wouldn't. And uh, at least for my frame of reference, this is what marriage is. Just really being solely dedicated to the one you are married to. So I probably just said some things that are super naive and stupid. And as always, I expect your emails or other things uh, to confirm my stupidity. Uh, What else? I don't know. I'm going to say thank you to the Justice Brothers. Really, truly thank you to the Justice Brothers. To our great friends at Cooper Tires. To, you know, we're going to say the folks at Bell Racing Helmets, they're okay. And lastly, TorontoMotorsports.com. They are my spirit animal in the form of a racing memorabilia and general goodies shop in Canada. So thanks to all of them. Thanks to you all for the great questions. I am moderately flabbergasted. This is being completed in less than two and a half hours, knowing that we had almost 3,000 words worth of questions. So... This is a point where I say thank you for listening. If you haven't, check out MarshallPruittPodcast.com where 600 plus our entire back archive is available. We have separate categories too for weekend IndyCar, weekend sports cars, inside the sports car paddock, racing sounds, the My Racing Life and Careers, and all the other little shows that we do. Give it a whirl. All right, y'all. Look forward to speaking to you next week with our guests. I have no idea. 